Welcome to the Ravado Health Podcast. I'm Jodie Duval and I'm a functional naturopath in Perth, WA. This is a place where you can expand your knowledge on how to optimize your health and realize your full potential. We'll have cutting edge information with expert guests and having lots of fun along the way. Get ready to be empowered and motivated to reach your higher vitality and find your ultimate potential. Let's go. Today, I'm so excited about chatting to my mentor and an all-round amazing person, Dr. Scott Sher. So for the first podcast of 2020, we will be chatting all things health optimization, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and how you can be limitless. So Dr. Scott is a board-certified internal medicine physician, certified in hyperbaric oxygen therapy and health optimization medicine. Dr. Scott is one of the few HPOT providers in the United States that creates personalized treatment plans for patients that include health optimization medicine as its foundation, cutting edge and dynamic HPOT protocols, as well as adjunctive therapies, practices and practitioners. He consults, educates and advocates for patients locally in the Bay Area where he lives and worldwide virtually through his website www.integrativehpot.com. So he's a man of many titles and an impressive one at that. So his former title, formal titles include Director of Integrative Medicine and Health Optimization at Hyperbaric Medical Solutions in New York, CEO of Health Optimization Medicine, a non-for-profit education company in the USA, COO of Smarter Not Harder, Medical Advisor to One Hit Away Foundation, and Hospitalist at Sequoia Hospital in Redwood City. Dr. Scott has also consulted on a number of wellness projects, including the Bulletproof Lab, Remedy Place, Elemis Wellness, and others. He resides in the Bay Area with his wife, his four children, and their Australian Shepherd Poodle Mix. I hope you guys enjoy. All right. Hi, Scott. Hi, Jerry. Hey. Thank you nice so much. Nice to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you too. Thanks so much coming for coming on and um, having a chat with me. I know your time is very, very precious, so I really appreciate it. That's all we have, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm happy we'll to get... be here and spend some time with you. Oh, thank you. Um, so we'll get straight into it. And um, first of all, I want you to tell us a little bit about you and how you got into medicine, practice, mm-hmm. hyperbaric, and health optimization. So... There's lots of different ways to answer that question. I feel sure. probably the, the most straightforward would be to say mm-hmm. that I grew up the son of a chiropractor. Alternative medicine was what I knew until I went to medical school. Going to medical school was a decision that I didn't quite know I was going to make at the time. I thought maybe I'd be like my father, be a chiropractor. But my father was my first mentor, and he really did feel limited in the sense of what he could do as a chiropractor and said, go to medical school, get the degree, then you can do anything you want. So I took that to heart. I decided to go to medical school. And my goal, though, was to figure out a way to kind of bring together the worlds of alternative medicine and conventional medicine in my own practice in some way going forward. Now, I was tantalized like many young residents or medical students by all the high dollar amount residencies you could go into like dermatology and orthopedics and GI. But I went through it and occasionally I was like, maybe I'll do this. And I'm like, nah, no, 
not gonna, I'm not going to do that. So I, I went to, I decided to do internal medicine here in, in the States, which is basically a catch-all residency. So it's three years after finishing medical school. And then you can do a specialty after that, but you can also finish in three years and then figure out what, the, what you want to do for the rest of your life, which is what I decided to do. It was actually before that, just before that in medical school, where I trained a facility called Shock Trauma in Baltimore, where I went to medical school. Was, the hospital was right next door. And it was a trauma center, lots of gunshot wounds, burn victims, all different types of trauma. And in the basement, there was a large hyperbaric oxygen therapy unit, a multi-place chamber. So multiple people go in at the same time. And we were on call every three nights for 30 hours. So it was, it was a crazy couple of weeks seeing crazy things. Baltimore mm-hmm. is known for its violence and it was indeed a violent time, but I, mm-hmm. I also had a lot of fun. Um, and I also got to see these people go into this gigantic chamber in the basement mm-hmm. and come out the other end looking dramatically different. For example, carbon monoxide poisoning, going in on a ventilator, walking out of the chamber once they were done with treatment. Amazing. Comatose, walking out. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. And then flesh-eating bacteria was another one. So soft tissue injury, et cetera. And I asked the, the practitioners of, around the chamber and the docs, I was like, you know, what's going on in the chamber? And they just said it was oxygen and pressure in combination. And when I realized how simple that really was and sounded and truly is actually, I, I felt that there was something there that I could explore. Mm-hmm. So from that point up until when I finished residency and then when I moved to California in 2012, I really started diving in, no pun intended or pun intended, (laughs) into hyperbaric medicine and kind of seeing what was possible. And then from there, creating an integrative practice that used hyperbaric therapy as as its main therapy, as my main expertise, let's say, but then creating an integrative model around it. So some basic targeted labs, lots of practitioners and other people that I could refer people to. And other therapies that I can refer people to as well, along with hyperbaric medicine being my particular therapy, the one that I focused in on. But it was missing something, and I didn't like to tell myself that it was. (laughs) I started getting involved in in optimal performance. I got involved in the biohacking movement with Dave Asprey and Bulletproof, and I consulted with them for several years. And I also started going to more conferences and started getting more interested in how hyperbaric therapy could be used in a performance health focused way mm-hmm. rather than a disease and condition focused way. I mean, of course, still used that way and I still do, but then also seeing the, the benefits of, of the performance side of things. And it was through that work that I happened to stumble across a fantastically smart guy, Dr. Ted Achikoso, through a friend of mine. Uh, Dr. Shaker Pai, who you know as well, Jody, mm-hmm. and met Ted in LA actually about almost three years ago now. And you know, Dr. Ted is a fantastically smart guy, a brilliant guy. And mm-hmm. he's a physician, anti-aging doc, has done a lot of different things in a lot of different types of fields, computing, artificial intelligence, software, financial stuff, um, socially responsible investing. I mean, you, you <laughs> name it. And so I asked Ted, I was like, you're this brilliant guy. What gets you up every morning to really stay with us here and really mm-hmm. actually engage with the regular stupid people? Yeah. So, <laughs> and, 
he said, you know, Scott, I have this program that I've been working on for the last eight or nine years at the time mm. in Manila that I really do, do feel like could move the needle on health. Mm. And that's really what my goal is to move the needle. And, and when he told me about how he was doing it and, and the nuts and bolts of it, I would say, I realized it was what I was missing in my practice. I grew up the son of a chiropractor, like I said, and there was always a focus on health. There was never a focus on disease per se or conditions. It was more, let's cultivate health and then the rest will take care of itself. And what health optimization medicine has provided for me is a way to quantify that, mm. a way to quantify health and then use that as the foundation of my practice and then use the ultimate biohack, the best biohack in the world. I'm biased, hyperbaric therapy <laughs> as needed and required uh, as we go along and and usher that process forward, whatever that looks like. So maybe slightly long story, slightly short story, you can decide. But Amazing. We could end the podcast there. No. I'm kidding. It's your show, man. It's beautiful. I loved it. Um, and you got so much in there that I can go with as well. So um, we've got the health optimization medicine. And um, as, as a lot of people know, uh, I've been a, a massive, I've got a massive passion for now as well. Um, right it, just, on, yep. it just grabbed me. And then I just sought after you guys, went over to London and went, Hey, take me on, please. <laughs> Pretty much. We're happy to have you, Debbie. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so let's jump into that. And then we'll go into HBOT later or the hyperbaric. Yeah, totally. um, so let's jump into health optimization and let's sure. go through the nuts and bolts of it and, and, and talk about where it is and where it's coming from and even where you see the, the, the future of medicine heading um, mm. with this moving the needle on health with health optimization medicine and sure. practice. Yes. Like I said, I'm, we're really happy to have you, Jody, as our, as our representation down under. <laughs> Thank you. Very excited to have health optimization medicine and practice in Australia with you. Yeah. It's a fantastic, the best way to describe it is a framework, mm. right? It's a fantastic framework for us to set aside disease. Not that disease isn't important, it absolutely is, but set it aside for just a moment and focus on health. Focus on the health of your system. And the best word to describe that is something called your holobiont. I'm sure you know this word now, Jody. I love it. It's H-O-L-O-B-I-O-N-T. And the idea is that we are individuals made up of organisms and made up of other environmental stimuli. And that all of that comes down to some our final processes, really, mm. we can measure at the cellular level. Mm. So that's the toxins we're exposed to, the environment that we're in, the, the sunlight that we're getting, the things that we're eating and drinking, of course, and then mm -hmm. also the things that are inside of us that are living, the mitochondria that we don't think of as living organelles inside, outside of our cells, but they are from bacteria initially or originally. And we have some untold quad, quadrillion of mm -hmm. them in our body. So a significant amount. We have, mm -hmm. we have microbiota. We have bacteria, virus, and fungus inside of us in all different orifices, mm -hmm. in our guts specifically and the most prominently. And so we can measure on the cellular level what's happening because or, or as a result of that holobiont that's, that we are. So mm -hmm. we can measure all of that and then we can use that information to create a health management plan for you. And so that's really what health optimization medicine is all about. Taking all that information, taking all that data, 
looking at it at the metabolite level, the mm -hmm. metabolomic level. And by metabolomic, I just mean what's happening at the cellular level right now. So looking at cellular processes, looking at enzymes, looking at vitamins, minerals, nutrients, toxins, the gut, gut metabolites. You can see all of that happening at the cellular level because there's a lot of crosstalk between what's happening in all these different kingdoms, in our, in the animal kingdom, and, and then also what's happening in the bacterial worlds, in the fungal worlds. All these things are interacting at the cellular level and actually really balancing our health. And so we know this now more than ever. I mean, when I went to medical school, all we did was talk about how gut microbiota would be killed if you gave antibiotics. And then you could get an antibiotic to get rid of the infection that you'd get if you got an antibiotic-associated diarrhea like C. diff. <laughs> so nobody knew all this stuff mattered. But now over the last 20 years, it's been a fantastic journey to see how significant a role the gut microbiota play in our overall health. Mm. And so... It's this framework where we're looking at the holobiont and we're doing this in a data-driven way. We're looking at metabolites. We're looking at them, gut metabolites. We're looking at cellular metabolites. And as a result of looking at those, we can get a good framework and a good understanding of what your overall health status is on the cellular level. Mm. Yeah, amazing. When I first heard Ted, Dr. Ted speak um, and speak about health optimization medicine, I was like, oh my gosh, like you, this is what I've been missing in my practice. And even with my background as a naturopath and even lecturing and in clinical practice, we don't go to the detail or it's just not put in that way that it's so systematic that you can actually measure all these things. And that's, I, I was just, oh, this is, oh. <laughs> it yeah. was a aha moment for me. I was, well, I was amazed by it. Learn it, right? You have to just memorize the citric acid cycle, the Krebs cycle. And yeah. how energy is produced, but you don't realize that you can measure all of that. And if you can exactly. measure it, you can correct for it. And you can mm -hmm. understand why things are deficient, why things are in backed up amounts. If they're, yeah. if they're high amounts, for example, you can see why, and you can mm -hmm. kind of give parallels. And the nice thing about metabolomic data is that it's not just a single data point that you're looking at. It's a network that you're looking at. So you can exactly. see where vitamin C is needed or where vitamin E is needed. And you can see why uh, the B vitamins are deficient and you can mm. see on your fatty acid oxidation profiles, why things are the way they are. You can correlate things together and yeah. it's, it's like a puzzle. And as an internal medicine doc, it really did ring true to me, this idea of data-driven network-based puzzles. Mm. And, and that our puzzle just is the human, not the human, it's the holobiont, right? That's yeah. our, that's our Everything puzzle. Everything that comes so, in. Yeah. And so some things aren't, testable yet but mm. some but a lot of things are mm. so we can measure it like if we're looking at circadian rhythms for example you can measure certain things that can show you how well you're doing with your circadian rhythms but it's not that great right you can get it you can get a ring you can measure your sleep cycles you can get a sleep study you can do all these kinds of things but um there's what we i think the focus is on that framework of measuring and then using a lot of the work that you you, you already know and many of your listeners probably already know already about what you can do for, to help your sleep cycles, what you can do to prevent your, your environment from being as toxic, um, how you can eat like your ancestors ate, mm. specifically for you, where you came from. My ancestry is very, very bad with dairy, for example. So I know that if, yeah. you're, if you have my ancestry, you're very likely gonna be bad with dairy. <laughs> Unless you grew up on a farm in Scandinavia or Mesopotamia, even really just Scandinavia, um, you're <laughs> probably not very good at 
at, at digesting dairy. So, and we also no. use um, immune system testing as well, which I should mention. So looking at food intolerance testing specifically mm-hmm. and how certain foods are interacting with your, with your white blood cells to see if there's any immune reactions that certain things are causing, whether that be an immediate reaction, IgE, motive, e, IgE um, modulated or IgG, which is more of a indolent sort of low grade sensitivity potentially, or as my wife would say, who's an allergist and intolerance. Be very <laughs> careful with these words, but yes. yes. So it's about using that data and then creating a health plan associated with these pillars of health optimization medicine, which I should probably mention. Mm. Um, the first one is metabolomics. Yep. Cellular data. The second is gut immune systems, looking at gut microbiota. Uh, the third is exposomics, which is looking at toxins in our environment. The fourth is chronobiology, which is circadian rhythms. The next is, the fifth is evolutionary medicine. So looking at your ancestry and and how your ancestors used to eat, live, breathe, all those kinds of things. Uh, The next one is, what am I forgetting? um, I'm forgetting mitochondria uh, or bioenergetics. Mm -hmm. And and so bioenergetics is the idea of looking at the mitochondria specifically, and that's light water magnetism, um, Mm -hmm. how how we approach light, how we approach water, magnetism. These are are things that dovetail in a lot of different fields. Um, And a lot of it you can't test right now, other Mm -hmm. than the work we're doing in metabolomics, but also and we know grounding, light exposure, getting outside, not only for light, but for other reasons is really important. Yeah. Um, so those are the ideas. And then I'm forgetting one. I don't know where it is, but it's, it's somewhere. Um, I, I gave you six. But <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of it either. Sorry. I just saw it yesterday on the, on the, on the sheet. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can, okay. we can we'll come back to it in a minute. Later. Yeah. yeah, but, but we're almost there. We got yeah. six and seven. So. And this is what I love about it is that um, those who know medicine or even, um, you know, in, in naturopathy, they, they look at all these aspects, but it's not in specific, um, easily, easily to oh, epigenetics. find. Of epigenetics. Yes, there you go. There you go. How could I forget epigenetics? I'm like, oh, we were I, just talking about that. Yeah. I know. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, please continue. <laughs> um, and with medicine, they, they don't pull all that together. And it's not all as that holistic picture, is it? Um, and so that's where I think that really that future of medicine is going down and where we can really get people more informed or doctors or MDs or internal medicine docs and all that sort of thing. It's more work, no Mm. doubt about it, in the sense from a practitioner side, you are looking at a lot of data points, you're putting a lot of things together and you're also having to actually portray this and actually give this message to your clients that that, that it makes it tangible for them. So it's it's definitely a process. It's something Mm. that I've learned over the last year and a half or so to really start really shifting my patients, but it, it took me a little bit of time to understand how best to approach it. Because as we know, as clinicians, it compliance is really the end all be all. Mm. Are people going to be compliant exactly. or not? Yeah. And if they're not, it's not going to work as well. And so mm. there's some sort of cutoff there, like 80% compliant, 70% compliant. You know, we don't expect hundred percent compliance. I mean, that's but compliance is better with testing and they can see it. And, then, right. and that's why I found already in my practice is that when I've um, shown people the actual data points and they're going, right. okay, well, I can't deny that. That's something that I need. And then all the compounding and all that sort of thing makes it a little bit easier in terms of making people take the supplements or, you know, and, and so it's, they are then compliant because of that. Data is a huge deal. Mm. And I talk to patients, I talk to when I lecture all the time, I mean, especially the lectures that you know that I, t- I give, Jody. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question, a very simple one. I'll just say, how many people, people take supplements here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Hmm. And everybody raises their hand. Everyone, how many, yeah. <laughs> how many people know why they take the supplements? They do. And some people raise their hand like half. And, and then I'll, I'll say, has anybody measured what they actually need to supplement exactly what you need and not, and not what you don't? Hmm. And very few people will be raising their hands at that point. Oh, because, and, that, and that's the thing that, that really sold me as well on this mm. was, you know, we're not only looking at it from a health perspective, but we're also giving people what they need and not what they don't. Exactly. That's yeah. pretty fantastic in mm. my opinion, because then you can use that data, look at it over time. And then, like you said, you're giving people a reason for doing things. Yeah. Um, when you're treating people that, or you're working with people that are healthy, you can often see a return on investment for this kind of work, but it takes more time. Mm. And so that's also something that I'm very upfront with, with my clients is that this is a long-term sustainable plan for you. This is not for tomorrow. This exactly. is for the future. Yeah. And so, and that's what we've seen with health optimization. That's what Ted has seen in his, in his clinic in Manila is that over time, people could become more resilient. They mm. get sick less often. A lot of those other diseases or conditions they may had that we didn't even address because that's not our focus have improved. Mm. That's, we never make any claims to that effect though, because the idea here is to keep it, we're claim free. Mm. We're just focused on the health of the cells, the organisms, uh, the holobiont. And then once that happens, everything else is a beneficial side effect. And that's cool mm. if it's a, it happens and you get better. But I also refer to my patient, my patient's, all the time to other therapists or other physicians or practitioners if there are other things that need to be addressed. So it's not mutually exclusive. And I talk to my functional medicine colleagues about this. My work is not in competition with theirs. It is the foundation, I feel, of what they probably will do in just a more focused and organized way. And then they, their therapies and their interventions are going to work better. Mm. The same thing goes in conventional medicine as well. It doesn't preclude you from doing any conventional medicine. I often say, if you, you know, have a heart attack, go to the hospital, right? Don't yes. to me yes. or don't even get in my hyperbaric chamber. It's like go no. to the hospital. Mm. Don't pass go as they say in Monopoly, right? So just, just go. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I see, and that's the other thing I really loved about, about health optimization medicine was that it wasn't competing with any of the other specialties. It was its own paradigm and its own parallel track where you could go on that track and be on any other track you want. Mm. And that's, that's fantastic. So I wasn't getting, stepping on anybody's toes. Um, I was feeling like I was focusing on health and not disease or not the root cause of disease. So all, all those were the reasons why it really resonated with me so much. And, and I think it resonates with patients and with clients as well, mm. because I think people get so focused on the disease mindset. You yeah. know, the idea is that I have this yeah. or I have that. And then it becomes them exactly. and it's not their fault. That's the human condition. We tell us something and it is. Mm. I had a, a friend of mine in seventh grade tell me he was a, he was a perpetual liar. He lied about everything. And he said, Scott, if you believe it, it's true. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, yeah, he's right. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty precocious guy in seventh grade. Um, but he was using it for lying. But it, if you lie to yourself, you tell yourself yeah. that you're, you're wonderful, you're awesome. It may boost up your ego, but you're going to feel better. You know? And so exactly. um, I tell my kids, if even they just make their, their, their teeth go like this a little bit and make themselves smile, they're going to feel, feel better. better. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, amazing. I've been reading the uh, Stalking the Wild Pendulum 
and oh, yeah. after your yeah after your and Dr. Ted's uh, recommendation, and it it makes sense. It's very complex the book, but it makes sense in that um, we have all those vibrational like frequencies you know seven times a second so it's one of those things that if you put it out there into the universe and that energy then you're going to believe it or it's going to believe it or whatever it is yeah we manifest what we believe exactly and yeah it's sometimes easier for people to say that are doing okay mm. and I, I completely understand that i know that people that are having a hard time uh either having issues with mental Ill mental illness or financial issues it's easier said than done right mm. so but, but still, it starts with you. It starts with your daily practices, things that you can control. Mm. Um, because you can't control always the external circumstance, but you can control your mindset for sure. And you also have free things that you can do. Mm. This is what I, some, this is something I, I sometimes talk about as well. There's nothing, not, not everything in life costs money, right? No. Connecting with people doesn't cost money. Um, putting away your phone and having a conversation, time, but it doesn't cost money. No. Um, Moving doesn't cost money. You, know, you get out of, go outside, you move, you get a little bit of exercise, even walk around the block. You're going to feel better. Mm. That is a state change. That is something that anybody can do, no matter how much or how little money they have. Exactly. Um, and the, the other one I talk about, which is more fun, is fasting. You don't have to have any money to fast. No, it actually <laughs> saves you money. It saves you money. So <laughs> um, when people tell me they don't have a lot of money and they and they don't have the financial wherewithal potentially to do all the testing right away. And mm. I and I completely understand that because it is a financial outlay in the beginning. Mm. Yeah, it's a return on investment, of course, exactly. over the long term. But in the short term, I get it. People have financial needs. We all do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have four kids. I know, Jody. So, <laughs> I know. But, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, if you're going to do thing, if you're going to do things for free, and I, I think the first thing I would, I'm going a couple different places in my mind. The first thing I would say mm. is. That, you only can control what you can control. What you can't, you have to surrender to. Okay. Exactly. So that's just life. Mm. If you try to control things that you can't, it's going to cause a lot of anxiety. It's going to cause a lot of other issues. So that's the first thing. But the other aspect of it is do what's free. Do what you know you can do every day and try to be consistent about it. You know, consistency, routines, to some degree, provide you space. They provide you creativity. Mm. If you don't have some sort of structure, in general, it's more difficult to have those creative times because you're always all over the place. So Absolutely. I tend to unfortunately veer towards the two structured variety, as I think <laughs> other people on this conversation might do as well. Yeah. Um, but so my goal always is to be less structured um, and to give myself more time to do more creative work and sort of keep my structured work to a, a lesser predominance in my day, if possible. Mm. I love that way that you say that though. It creates creativity because if you have that structure in there, it's already set in stone. So you can then go and, and feel free to be doing other things. So I love the way that you've said that. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I believe it as well for my kids, you know, so my kids are in a Montessori type of environment. Mm, so it's, amazing. it's, it's you work and you, because sort of creative you work. Right? Mm. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a different concept. I yeah. think for many people that you need to have structure to be creative, but you don't have to have structure all the time. No. My Just a kids, bit. Yeah. yeah, my kids grew up um, doing a, a lot of the Waldorf Steiner, so that's ah, a, yes. yeah, I, I totally get that. Yes, the anthroposophical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're now it's good stuff. Yeah, just early early years, which is really cool. Cool to see. Well, yeah. the early years are where we have the most impact, really, on on our kids' development. Absolutely. I have, I have a daughter that's 
I think you have a daughter that's nine as well, as well, right? Is that right? Or... Um, opposite. So my son oh, is, yeah, he's he's almost eight, and my daughter is four. Yeah. So um, at eight or nine years old, we're already done. Our parenting mm. is over. We've yeah. already had our our biggest impact. Yeah. So um, so I often tell parents that that's the biggest time to keep keep an eye and really be the most. I mean, you always want to be involved, but like you really, their personality really does shape significantly be, before about ten years old. So maybe absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more there as well. So we try to provide structure. You have them sleep better. They mm. are more creative and they're better the next day, just like we are. Oh, Except yeah. it's more pronounced in them. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. You get to see sort of you without the filters. Yeah. Looking at your children. Yeah. And so I, I often think about that and how they're interacting with the environment. Like my daughter is very hungry. She's acting crazy. I'm like, oh, we do that in our own ways, don't we? You know. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Great. There is no filters. Yeah. No, no filter. It's beautiful. No, yeah, it is beautiful. Beautiful crazy, to say. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> mostly, slightly crazy, mostly. Never, never a dull moment. I think no. that's for sure. No. No, no, no. Not with four. No. Oh my gosh, I don't know how you do that. Far out. Um, so let's just sum up the health optimization. So it is, uh, there is a, a clinical module out there, the clinical met- metabolomics and mm-hmm. practitioners and medicine um, practitioners can also do this and become a metabolomics uh, certified. Yeah. Yeah. Certified. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So home. And the rest of the course is coming. Yeah. So. And it's all coming. Yes. Yeah. So we have the seven modules that'll be out early this year, early 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And metabolomics is the first module that's been out since mid 2019. Mm-hmm. And if you just wanted to take that one module and get certified in it and not do the rest, you could do that. We, because yeah. we do feel that there are some clinicians that don't necessarily feel that they require that other education. That's completely fine. So we've separated it out as its own module, its own certification. But okay. then you can also get the basic certification in health optimization, medicine, and practice. And that's the seven modules together. Mm-hmm. And that's the full certification. Uh, we will have advanced modules mm-hmm. in the future, as you know, Jody, yes. of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is, there'll be one at least on hormone optimization. That'll be the likely the first one. Amazing. Um, and there'll be others as well. Mm. But the, the idea really is that we've created here in the United States and, and across the world, nonprofit organizations where this will be an educational platform for clinicians to learn how to practice. You know, we did it that way because it's not about making money, it's about providing education, really. I have my own concierge health optimization medicine practice, which is a for-profit company, but the, the company itself delivering the software, delivering the education, excuse mm. me, and the content is a nonprofit company. Yeah. So all the money goes back into creating coursework and then just being able to provide it as best as we can to mm. everybody. Yep. And so the, also what's nice about metabolomics is that it has what, what's called here CME certification. So you get continuing medica- medical education credits if you take it. Yep. Um, in Australia, I know you're working on that too, Jody. Yeah, um, we're going to do the CPE. Yep. Yeah, but also looking for the other modules at the same time to also have um, CME or the equivalent for them as well if you take them. Because that's important. And, and I know from my experience... You know, I need to get a relicensed every two years. And so I need mm. a certain amount of CME credits. And so this is the way to get it pretty easily because we have 45 CME credits, which is a lot. Uh, in the US, I need to, to re-up my license every two years, I need 50. So wow. yeah. um, 
Yeah, yeah we need 20 uh, for, for my um, field, it's 20 hours per year. Yeah. So it's pretty equivalent. It's almost there. So, yeah. 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 But in the sense that if you, if you got similar amounts for the metabolomics module in Australia, it would satisfy that in one course. Mm, absolutely. Which is which great. Is, yeah, so, which is really good. Yeah. And the hope is that we can really bring this to the world and that more clinicians will start to be able to use it in their practices and more clients will, well, more patients, let's say, because we call them clients, but exactly. more patients, everybody's more familiar with that. Um, more people will benefit mm. from it. And yeah. it'll, we hope, become a parallel system that can really focus on people's health. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so cool. All right. Well, that we'll, we'll leave it there and um, we can probably do some follow-ups in the year and, and have a little bit more chat about where it's, where it's heading um, and sure. what's, what's developing in terms of the modules that are coming out. And so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see where that takes us throughout the year. Um, yeah. Eventually now, we'll have bundles for pricing and, and, cool. uh, and doing more things about on PR and getting more active on Facebook and Instagram and, all those other fancy places you have to go. Excellent. That sounds sounds really good. It's all all happening. Cool. Um, All right. So now I wanted to uh, move on to the infamous Smurf. Mm, Sure. Yes. Um, So transcriptions. Yes. The blue tongue. Uh, We have blue tongue lizards here in Australia. I know you do. Um, I remember uh, yeah, you, and all yeah, the dangerous that. animals in the world too. Absolutely, no, we're pretty. We're pretty good here. You don't need to be scared. <laughs> no, it's a fantastic country. I'd love it to is. Come to it is. Um, so transcriptions, um, and your it's coming out now soon, very soon. Yes, I, I hear very soon. Yes, yes, early twenty twenty will be out. Um, transcriptions is, is an interesting. It was. It, it's it's a fantastic and fun concept. Uh, mm. I feel because it really dovetails dovetails into the work of health optimization medicine. Mm-hmm. The idea that there are certain bottlenecks that all of us face along the path to optimal health. And some of those do require stuff to feel. And transcriptions was developed with that in mind. Mm-hmm. The idea that we are looking at those bottlenecks and trying to create products that address them. Mm-hmm. So the first bottleneck that is being addressed. And by the way, this is a for-profit company, so this is not a non-profit company. Yeah. Um, first bottleneck is in brain health, in cognitive function. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Ted developed a formula, the, the blue canatine formula. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, it was going to be in a gum, but then we decided that we liked trochees a lot. Yeah. And trochees are sublingual tablets, basically, but, they're, but you don't mess them, you don't they're a little bit different. They basically mm-hmm. stay in your mouth in one location and they dissolve. And the idea is that by using them in your mouth, you don't, you get a lot of dissolving work that's happening in your mucosa right here, in your cheek versus having to get digested and mm-hmm. then get through your liver and by, and then have to get digested through first pass metabolism. Yeah. So, so it's a buccal or mouth gum absorption. Mm-hmm. And it's got four major ingredients, four, mm-hmm. um, four ingredients that are synergistically working together on the on precision dosed on the smaller scale of their dosing side. So mm-hmm. nicotine, which is one milligram, methylene blue, which is an uncommon nootropic, but it's a very powerful one, five mm-hmm. milligrams. Um, we have caffeine at 50 milligrams, which is like a quarter of a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then you have uh, CBD. Mm -hmm. um, but hemp crystals beatifically derived. Mm -hmm. We don't call it CBD because yes. there is real ways and fake ways and the right ways to say this for marketing perspective. But um, so hemp oil basically, yeah. and uh, and and so the, the reason why the hemp is involved or the cannabidiols involved is that the three nootropics are very powerful, mm -hmm. uh, caffeine, nicotine, and, C and methylene blue. And we don't want people to get like a jolt. Yeah. So the idea, no jolt, the CBD helps kind of smooth it out. And it's also yeah. neuroprotective as well. So it helps, pr actually protects your brain from toxicity. Mm -hmm. um, nothing that we're giving is toxic in, in the doses that we're giving it. Um, but even still, having some neuroprotective effects is good. I mean, nicotine itself is neuroprotective. Mm. being used in Alzheimer's patients for helping with cognition. It's addictive if it's smoked or if it's vaped because of the immediate hit of nicotine. Yeah. But actually, the nicotine that we're giving in pure form, in a synthetic form, not a tobacco-derived form, it's very difficult to get addicted to it. It's possible. If you're having a lot of it, you can. Mm. So we do have a recommended daily amount that you would take. But it's a very low dose. One milligram is like a quarter of a cigarette. I mean, mm. if you're going to equivalent the equivalent of how much nicotine, typically cigarettes about four milligrams of nicotine. Mm. So it's low dose. It's a cognitive enhancer. It's a, it's a mild stimulant. It's fantastic. Um, but it can be sharp. It can give you this sort of jolt of if you've ever tried nicotine by itself. And so the nice thing about this product is that it doesn't give you that jolt of, of, of edginess that, mm. that can sometimes happen. Uh, caffeine, we all know and love. Um, caffeine is a great stimulant. It works really well. <laughs> yeah. So it's got a little bit of caffeine in there to help synergize. Um, methylene blue is an uncommon nootropic. It's, uh, mm. it's been around a long time. It's the first drug that was registered actually with our FDA in the United States in, in the 1890s. Mm -hmm. It's been used for fungal infections, bacterial infections. It's been used in different varieties as part of um, psychotropic medications or, or antipsychotic medications. Um, but that's mostly been used as something that's been bound to antipsychotic medications so okay. that we would know if patients were actually taking the medicines or not. Mm. So because methylene blue turns your urine blue. blue. <laughs> depending on how strongly colored your urine, it might be green, depending right. on if you're yellow. If you're that's what was color. going on in London. Now I know. <laughs> Indeed, yes. So at high doses, it's also going to make your feces uh, blue as well. But right. uh, but at our doses, you'll see some blue in your urine, but it'll turn out you know, usually green-ish, yep. depending on how concentrated. If you're taking B vitamins, for example, sometimes it could be even more electric. It was. It was electric in London. <laughs> electric. Love it. So the onset of actions about 15 to 30 minutes after taking it or after having it in your mouth. Mm -hmm. It dissolves in about 15 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And then it lasts for about three hours. And then mm. what you really feel is this boost. We like to call it the limitless boost. Yeah, I love the limitless. Idea. It's amazing. The idea that you're just vibratory-wise higher, mm. cognitive processing higher, thinking faster, fluid, more fluid with your words, cr more creative, more expansive, lateral thinking. We are looking at it in the sense of from a performance measure perspective as well, so from a physical performance, but some of that's mm just sort of starting and we're having some people work on it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can't make claims for the entire formula itself. We can only make claims for what's been studied for in the individual ingredients. Mm. But from, a, from a, our perspective, it's a nootropic. 
It's yeah. a limitless Smurf nootropic because it does turn <laughs> your tongue blue. Half and Smurf, so full Smurf. You can go all, you can go half. It's up to you. Yeah. <laughs> but in general, I have people stay half because you don't want the trochee moving around your mouth too much. No, that's you right. Keep it in one location and keep as little saliva on it as possible. Yeah. So if you do that, it'll, the absorption will be faster and more effective, more efficient. Mm-hmm. If you don't, your whole mouth will be smurfy. That mm. is for sure. Um, <laughs> and the effect may not be as efficient. So, um, yep. but to each their own. Exactly. Each of their smurf, smurf own. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so at the smurfing moment, around town. <laughs> smurfing around town. So we can't smurf around town in Australia just yet, but uh, we could we could be in the future. So that's sort of why we mentioned it here today. Uh, and Stop those where you're in the United States or have, or have yeah, that's friends. right, that's right. <laughs> so US and UK uh, at just the moment the is it just the US? Okay, just the US. So those in the US can get it uh, soon. We're working on Europe. It's happening. It's okay. not going to happen immediately, but our our primary objective is to release it uh, early this year okay. and then all will follow. Amazing. Yay. Go Smurfs. All right. So now I wanted to move on to hyperbaric HBOT, um, your passion, your expertise, your love. So explain to the audience what it is because um, mm-hmm. a lot of people know a little bit about it more so the Benz associated. Um, and we know, you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we do have it in a couple of hospitals here, but it's not really available for personal use um, a a lot. So it's something that, again, I'm very passionate about because I I tried it out and and felt the amazing benefits that it had to give. So yeah, let's go. (laughs) Sounds good. So yeah, I mean, hyperbaric therapy, as I described, was what I first developed a practice around. Mm. And I still have a practice around hyperbaric medicine. Yeah. I do worldwide consultation, education, advocacy, talk to patients across the world, help with clinic development of particular protocols, depending on their other technologies. As I mentioned, I did work with Bulletproof for a little while. Mm. They were initially thinking about having hyperbaric chambers in their Bulletproof lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a company called Remedy Place in LA that I consulted on that project. Uh, there's another hyperbaric facility in, in England. I think mm. maybe you, if you were LMS with my, yeah, 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 yeah there as well, Jody. So I, I help with a protocol development side and, and education side with them. Mm. So they've got an uh, impressive chamber there, don't they? They do. Yeah, yeah. This fancy quadruple chamber. Yeah. Oof. Made in Romania. Um, mm. Nice, nice chamber. Very nice chamber. Um, but the idea is really simple. And that's what really got me hooked on it was that you're just combining increased inspired oxygen, mm-hmm. oxygen at sea level is 21%. We're usually increasing the amount of oxygen to somewhere between 95 and hundred mm-hmm. percent in the chamber. Then yeah. we're combining that with increased atmospheric pressure simulating the pressure you would feel under a certain amount of seawater. So if you're at 33 feet of seawater, that's equivalent of two atmospheres absolute. And so we use a lot of diving lingo because hyperbaric therapy was really developed for dive injury for the bends, as you described it. Mm-hmm. And then over the last 50, 75 years now, it's developed more of as a med- medical therapy outside of diving for a host of things. Um, but combining those two things together drives a lot more oxygen in circulation because that pressure changes our physical body's ability to get oxygen into circulation. So physics, Henry's law is the, the law's name. The more, the more pressure you put on a gas, the more that gas is going to go into liquid form. So we pressurize oxygen in this case, more that oxygen is going to go into the plasma or the liquid of your blood. Now, typically red blood cells carry oxygen. They have hemoglobin molecules that carry the oxygen. 
typically four sites per hemoglobin molecule. If you put a pulse ox on your finger, it'll show 97 to 100% saturation. Mm. For the most part, if you have normal lungs, if you have COPD or another lung disease, maybe less, maybe you require extra oxygen to get it there. But that's measuring the amount of sites that are bound by oxygen on these hemoglobin molecules. Mm -hmm. So most of us are doing a really good job already binding oxygen on the red blood cells. Mm -hmm. There's very little additional oxygen you can carry in circulation unless you increase red blood cell mass by altitude training, taking illegal drugs that increase your red blood cell mass like epigen. Epigen okay. can be used in kidney disease as well, but mm -hmm. EPO is a common doping agent. You can also auto-transfuse yourself. You can take off blood, transfuse yourself off blood, phlebotomize mm -hmm. yourself, and then mm -hmm. give it back to yourself before a race to increase red blood cell mass and oxygen carrying capacity. Have they made but that illegal now? Chamber, that's hard to trace. Yeah, I thought so. The hard one to trace <laughs> because it's your own blood. Mm. So, or you can get you can get somebody else's blood too, mm. uh, but it's still it's still difficult to trace. But they have ways of doing it, I hear. Yeah. Um, but in my world, we're actually saturating the plasma, mm -hmm. the liquid of your blood that has very little oxygen in, in it at sea level, and so there's a, a pretty significant untapped resource mm. in the in the in the plasma that we can dissolve liquid O2 that's unbound that can diffuse into the system and diffuse further outside of blood vessels because of all that oxygen that's in there. So um, it's that oxygen infusion that's the power of oxygen therapy, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Mm. In the acute side, there's the acute infusion of hyperbaric therapy. And then long-term, there's like the benefits of an oxygen infusion protocol. You can break it up into those two capacities. Okay. Simply said, the first thing it does is reverse hypoxia and reversing low oxygen states. It does that immediately by flooding the system with oxygen. And if you flood the system with oxygen, you're going to prevent tissue that may have been at risk of damage if it was under low oxygen concentrations, environments from an insult of any type, trauma, stroke, heart attack, whatever. You can help some of that tissue get more oxygen than it would have otherwise. And so then preventing a lot of that tissue or some of that tissue uh, from, from dying, which is obviously important if it's your brain, if your heart, mm. excuse me, your spinal cord, uh, yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. So, but over the long term, what's happening in the chamber is that you're actually having an epigenetic shift in how your DNA is expressing and suppressing various genes. Um, in this case, from the hypoxia perspective, you're actually regrowing blood vessels. And if you're regrowing blood vessels over time, you are allowing that tissue that was damaged or inflamed or not doing as well as it could to regenerate itself or, and sustain itself over the long term. Mm -hmm. So that's extremely important. Absolutely. So the second thing, the second thing that happens, the first reversing hypoxia, the second is decreasing inflammation. And that's kind of a big deal. Inflammation is sort of the universal common denominator for disease and degeneration, whether it be from a trauma, whether it be from an infection or aging as it happens or whatever you want to say, inflammation, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, I mean, everything. So mm. what hyperbaric therapy does in the beginning is immediately decrease inflammation by decreasing swelling mm -hmm. and also as a result of various pathways that are being turned on to decrease inflammation almost directly. Um, but a lot of it has to do with swelling. So if you have a, a blood vessel that's injured um, and it's leaking material outside into the tissue, that's going to cause a lot of swelling. It's going to cause a lot of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So if you can decrease the ability of that to happen, which happens in the chamber, you're going to prevent all that stuff from happening. So in the chamber, you actually constrict down blood vessels a little bit 
and prevent that stuff from leaking out. The net though is that even though you're constricted down, you're getting more oxygen delivered because you have more oxygen in circulation. Mm -hmm. So you're decreasing in swelling inflammation immediately. And then over long-term in a protocol of hyperbaric therapy, you're actually able to downregulate some of these inflammatory cascades, helping with cytokine release and, and inflammatory modulator release, and, and then helping the body regenerate itself without all that inflammatory stuff kind of going on. Mm. So that's inflammation. The second, the third one, so we have reversing hypoxia, decreasing inflammation. The third one is stem cell release. So there is an exponential release of stem cells in a hyperbaric chamber. Those stem cells can create any different cell in the body that's required, helping rebuild that scaffolding that may have been injured, either acutely or more chronically, depending on the issue. And we see exponential numbers of stem cells released up until treatment number 60 or so. Wow. And we think that this is the reason why we have a decrease in senescent cell populations as well in patients that have had long-term hyperbaric protocols. Mm -hmm. Senescent cells are these cells that build up over time, call them zombie cells. They're mm -hmm. cells that, um, that don't divide any longer, but they don't really make any viable impact on our physiology in a positive way. They don't do anything. They just cause inflammation. They can turn cancerous. Mm -hmm. um, they send so off just, sort of crazy signals, don't they? Stress signals. Right, they do, exactly, mm. yeah. So we think that the senescent, we do know, at least from some preliminary data, senescent cell populations are going down. And we think maybe it's because their stem cells are being a regenerating tissue and either telling these cells to die mm -hmm. and go away or regenerating them directly, we don't know. Mm. Wow, that's what fascinated me the most about it is the stem cells. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And so we're using it even in more significant injuries or disease processes like... Um, like stem cell transplants. If you want to mm -hmm. have like a stem cell transplant and you want to have the, the highest harvest of stem cells, you want to go into a chamber beforehand. And so we're using it in, in even those capacities as well. Now, if you're doing like my, my friend, Dr. Harry Adelson and getting a mm -hmm. full body stem cell makeover, yeah. and getting stem cells taken from your, your, your iliac crest, and then you're getting them everywhere, you should get into a hyperbaric chamber beforehand because you are going to get more stem cell release and there's going to be a more of a yield when Harry does his procedure. In fact, I've talked to him and others about using hyperbaric therapy before stem cell harvesting for these particular reasons. Excellent. I'd love to go see Harry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's got something going on there. Yeah. Um, and he, he and Amy as well, uh, Dr. Mm. Amy Killen. Mm. So um, she does all the sexual health stuff. And she's yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, and then the last one is, so we said reversing hypoxia, decreasing inflammation, stem cell release. The last one is killing, killing bugs. Mm -hmm. um, so killing bacteria and virus and fungus that, that do not like high oxygen environments. And so hyperbaric therapy does that directly. It also does that in synergy with other therapies, whether it be antibiotics mm -hmm. or other bacteria causing or bacteria killing, virus killing, fungal killing things. Homeopathy, <laughs> um, even ozone actually. Um, yeah. Ozone can be a very uh, interesting in combination. Yeah, I love I love ozone. Um, really getting into a lot more of that as well now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I should also mention that what's underappreciated in the chamber is pressure. So mm -hmm. again, you can't get all that oxygen circulation without it. Yeah. But pressure itself likely has an effect on lymphatic and blood flow, and probably cerebral spinal flow as well. Yeah. So helping with detoxification. So that's, that's the big, that, is that the lymphatic system, Scott? So yes, yes, yeah. the lymphatic system yeah. that helps recycle cerebral spinal fluid mm. and then lymphatics as well. Yeah. General lymphatics, yeah. 
Yeah. Amazing. So in terms of the pressure though, and I know you've spoken to me about this before is you've got the 1.5 and the two atmospheric pressure. Um, so explain a little bit about the differences between the different sure. atmospheric pressures and then protocols in terms of how many times you need to do it, how often. Sure. So there's different types of chambers. They go to different pressures. Mm -hmm. There is soft, mild hyperbaric therapy, usually classified somewhere between 1.3 and 1.5 atmospheres. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Usually, at least in the US, you can go up to 1.3 in a home chamber. Um, in other countries, up to 1.5. I believe in Australia, you can go to 1.5 in England as well. Um, so the idea with the, the milder pressures, mm -hmm. 1.3 to 1.75 or so, is they're more focused on neurocognitive indications, more focused on brain health and brain recovery. And then the deeper pressures, two atmospheres and below, are more systemic pressures. The deeper you go, the more stem cells you release, interestingly mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. um, although we don't know if that's true for the brain. We, don't, we do think that 2.0 and greater is a lot of pressure for the brain, and it may not be best if you have a neurologic insult. So my colleagues in Israel will do stroke and traumatic brain injury at two atmospheres. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, I've leaned towards the 1.3 to 1.75 Okay. marks for most people. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's important to, the thing about it is that you're like me, Jody. It's not just like a one size fit all model, right? If somebody no. comes in, they're perfectly healthy. They have no medical problems. They've been optimized by me mm -hmm. um, or somebody else, even a functional medicine doctor, mm -hmm. but then they can probably go to a different pressure than somebody that's coming in. They have chronic fatigue syndrome. They've just started their journey. Like I'm not going to put them at the same pressure. I'm just not yeah. going to do it. I mean, yeah. I may not even put them in the chamber. Yeah. I may say, no, go see Jody first or go, yeah. or go do this first before you get in there because you need to have enough oxidative, oxi uh, you have enough capacity, enough reserve mm -hmm. to be able to actually harness the power of hyperbaric therapy and make energy. Yeah. Um, if you can't make energy effectively, you're not going to do well in the chamber. Mm -hmm. so, and that's where health um, optimization that gets the energy flowing. Exactly. And that's mm. how it works in my practice. Mm. If it's an acute issue, this comes along protocols. Acute issues don't require a lot of hyperbaric therapy. Mm -hmm. um, if it's an acute injury, three to five sessions for most people, um, if it's not a severely acute injury, can significantly benefit you and stimulate and accelerate your healing process. Mm -hmm. But if you have a chronic issue, something that's been going on for a while, or you're just getting older and you mm. want to optimize, getting into a chamber is probably not the first thing you want to do. Mm -hmm very likely you need a foundation. And, and that's what I was missing from my practice, Jody. I was missing that foundational approach that I could provide to my clients in a health focused way. Because I didn't really, I was never a guy that really, I grew up, like I said, son of a chiropractor. I yeah. never thought about disease. I never really liked talking about it. Mm. And I worked in a hospital. I work <laughs> with sick patients. Mm. That's okay. I, I know that that's a really important thing. But for me, in my hyperbaric, hyperbaric practice, I really felt that the health focus was really what I felt most comfortable with, yeah. most aligned with my vision. Yeah. So um, it became the foundation of my practice for those individuals that were looking for a more chronic, a more long-term play, a more long-term sustainable health plan. And then adding hyperbaric therapy on top of that was icing on the cake, mm -hmm. right? So I know what it can do. I know what, it, what happens in the chamber, new blood vessels in the brain, new blood vessels around the heart, new blood vessels around your genital organs. So you're going you're gonna to have regeneration, rejuvenation. But if you're still eating McDonald's every day or mm -hmm. drinking five beers a day, is that going to last for very long? The answer is no. Exactly. Or are you going to get as much benefit as you would have if you had done some of this work? Mm. So 
when it comes down to it for me, I, I have this conversation with people. I'm like, look, you have chronic fatigue syndrome, you have migraines. Mm. Okay. What I recommend you do is a general assessment first. Before you go into the chamber, this is what the chamber may help you do. But if you do it, it's not going to be as beneficial, in my experience, as if you start off with the foundational stuff first. With me or with somebody else, mm. this is my approach. We'll set all those things aside, your diseases, your conditions, your symptoms. Let's mm. take you out of that box and bring you into one with very few sides, just mm. some corners, okay? <laughs> There's openings all over the place um, <laughs> for lots of different things, um, depending on what's needed. Yeah. Or, what's, or what feels most aligned in your journey, whether that mm. be neurofeedback or going to the jungle outside of this country and doing things that are not looked upon legally here, but may be beneficial for you in other places. Yeah. Um, if that's what you feel is most aligned with your vision of what's ne needed. Because mm. as you know, Jody, the psychological portion of disease is gigantic. Huge. And becoming in the sick mindset is a deterrent in itself of getting better. So mm. one of the things that I feel was mo I, I was most aligned with is let's leave, let's leave that aside. Absolutely. That's you outside my door yeah. or outside my window, telemedicine window or whatever. So um, <laughs> we're going to focus on your health. Yeah. And then on top of that, build on hyperbaric therapy. So the protocols, neurologic protocols are 1.3 to 1.75 typically. Yep. Traumatic brain injury, stroke, um, also things that are um, some other good examples of a neurologic injury. So, so some pretty good data on um, autistic spectrum disorder, mm -hmm. um, even for cerebral palsy mm -hmm. and some others that are more neurologic. There's some controversy there, of course, and it's not approved by any medical insurance plans in the US. Okay. Um, so from a cognitive optimization perspective, they're also great as well. Mm. Absolutely. And the deeper pressures are more used for systemic optimization. So for full systemic optimization, that would include cardiovascular health and brain health, but it would also include like inflammatory bowel disease, like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Mm. Uh, for pre-post surgery, if you're gonna get a surgical procedure, I recommend getting in the chamber before and after, hyperoxygenate, mm. and then let the body heal faster, whether it be a plastic surgery um, or an ACL or something even more major. Mm. So it's gonna help you heal faster. And, and if you're gonna go under the knife for a cardiac surgery, for example, and it's not unsafe, I would get into a hyperbaric chamber beforehand too. There's some good data to describe better cognitive outcomes if you get into a chamber before a major procedure where you're going to need anesthesia for a long time. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So lots of different things, but in the end, it's about personalizing it, both mm. the pressure and the protocol, depending on the individual in front of me. But if it's an acute issue, I throw them in the chamber and I throw the bus at them with supplements, dietary yep. changes, other therapies and practitioners. But if it's more chronic or long-term issue, that's when you have time to create a holistic health management plan yep. that yeah. I have as health optimization medicine. Yeah, wonderful. Now, I know you have mentioned in the past something about the stem cell release and it only happens after maybe session 20. Is that true? Or the optimized? No, so, no, so stem cells are after treatment one, actually. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, right away, you right. start getting an exponential release of stem cells. Okay. Um, the blood vessels don't start really regrowing or you don't yeah. see major changes up until treatment 20. Right. So that's okay. probably what you're thinking about. Yeah, yeah. that's what, what I would have been. Yeah. All right. Stem Ooh. cells first, right? So you have all these stem yeah. cells being released. And then after that, 
all these other tissues can get developed. All this new scaffolding is being created in the tissue beds because of the stem cells forming all these different types of cells, new brain cells, new neurons, new, uh, new supporting system cells like mm. glial cells and microglial cells, and then bone, connective tissue, cartilage, you name it. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, and I know I have asked you that this before, but uh, children in the chamber, what's your, what's your point of view on that? Well, um, I have a colleague of mine, his name is Dr. Paul Harch, and he treats pa patients in chambers uh, that are as young as six months old. Mm, so we know it's very wow. safe. Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest areas that I forgot to mention on the neurocognitive side that's been growing is the, in the area of anoxic brain injury or brain okay. in injured children, whether mm. that's prenatal or postnatal. And so there was a story, a lady named Eden, or a girl, a baby, uh, Eden Carlson. You can just take a look. Anybody can Google her name. You can hear about her near drowning where she was dead, basically. They brought her back after drowning, and she was quadriplegic with a ventilator um, or with a peg tube and with a, with a trach, and now is walking around after wow. having hyperbaric therapy with brain scans to show her brain went from mush uh, back to fully vital, mostly fully vital tissue. I mean, nobody knows how much function she's lost, but she's talking like a normal kid. And she's Amazing. almost walking like a normal kid now too. So, wow. I mean, we see these happen. Mm. Um, it's, but in my experience, I've seen you know, gradations of that, of course. Like those, mm. those are sort of the real miracles, but improvements in neurocognitive function and motor function are all possible in the chamber. Mm. I forgot why I was talking about all of this. Why was I talking about this? <laughs> um, children, that's right. Kids, right, thank you. So <laughs> I knew there, there was a reason. I was trying to circle back to um, So the answer is kids, it's very safe in the chamber for kids to go in. If they're mm. younger than a certain age and they can't clear their ears on their own because the pressure is gonna make them have to clear their ears as they're going down, mm -hmm. then sometimes we have to have adults in the chamber with them. Mm -hmm. Or we can give pacifiers. Um, we can give straws as well. Straws help for the suction. Okay. Well. Yeah. Sorry, it's getting dark over here and my glare is real. <laughs> yeah, it does. The sun just dropped, didn't it? Yeah, um, I know at LMS, when I, when I went there, I had the intravenous vitamins, uh, amino acids, mm -hmm. and then went into the, the chamber. Now, is there anything yes. to say for research-wise that that's beneficial? So... We don't know from a research perspective yet, mm. but we do know that to harness the power of your cellular machinery, you need vitamins, minerals, nutrients. Mm -hmm. And so the idea, at least theoretically, is if you're combining that with, so combining those new minerals and nutrients mm -hmm. with the energy stimulus, which hyperbaric therapy is doing, creating more energy at the cellular level, yeah. then hypothetically, the combination is going to be more effective. So okay. that's the idea. Yeah. Um, in some capacity, you want to be careful because um, you don't want to give too many antioxidants before the chamber, okay. depending on what the reason is to go in. If yeah. you're looking for the stress response, it's important that you don't give too many antioxidants before. Mm. You can give minerals, some vitamins maybe, but avoid some of the antioxidants, for yeah. example. Yeah, so vitamin C. Yes. Yeah. Um, if it's going to be used for an oxidative purpose, so if vitamin C is given at a high dose, mm -hmm. then potentially you can use it beforehand because it's going to be a combination of the yeah. oxidative killing effect of vitamin C plus hyperbaric therapy. So there's some research going on combining the two for cancer, for example, right. from a synergistic approach to cancer. So we, usually, we do use hyperbaric therapy. Yeah. In viruses, you know, we haven't 
there's not much going on in viruses right now. Okay. We do know vitamin C is great for viruses itself. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure about viruses, but for cancer, um, there's some interesting ideas. They're, they're only ideas so far, some, some animal models, but not in humans, combining the two together for cancer. Fascinating. All right, Scott, we're getting short of time and I'm very, very well aware of that. So we'll kind of wrap up now. Um, cool. And give me a little bit of a rundown of where to find um, some of the information that we've talked about today in terms of where you practice, your website. Um, I'll link up the, the Hope Home, Home Hope stuff as well on to the, the podcast link. Um, and then lastly, after all that, what do you think is the most important thing that you do for your health? And I know you love the sauna. And I don't I do, do the infrared. Yeah. I do. But I'll pick something different. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the places to find me and the work that we're doing, uh, my personal Instagram page is at Dr. Scott Sure. Mm-hmm. That's where I do my best to post. Although lately it's been not as robust as I would. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better this year. It's, I know you do a good job over there, Jody. Um, <laughs> I got it. a little bit of help over here too. You have some interns? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you need to, you need to lend, lend me one, please. I will. <laughs> I can do. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Love it. Okay. Um, and so that's my, that's my personal Instagram. Uh, my, hyper, my hyperbaric focused websites, integrativehbot.com and my Facebook page, also integrativehbot. I do some posting there. I put up all my lectures and my podcasts as many as I can. Um, the transcriptions, and blue canatine, which is the name of the limitless pill, which I think we forgot to talk about, um, is at Troscriptions on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And there's also a blue canatine Facebook users group. Um, if you're interested, of course, not many people have been users yet, but the idea is to create a community for everybody that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are those two sites. And then we have homehope.org, like you said, yep. uh, for our nonprofit. And then my personal health optimization medicine practice is home. Uh, dash so home dash sf dot co mm-hmm. and that's me and dr shaker pie so awesome. those are the many places you, you can find me amazing well we'll link all those up as well so thank you yes and then my what i can't live without yeah so i used to think it was something external jody ah. but it's not no. no 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 it's internal it's internal work and for me the most important part of my day is meditation actually um, okay and having the time to go inward mm. and to down regulate my vibratory frequency and to go into that vibratory frequency of the earth, the planet, the universe, mm. which is what meditation gives us, the feeling of oneness, mm-hmm. the feeling of awareness and observation. So that's probably the most important thing during my day. And so yeah. I try my best to do it before my kids wake up in the morning although I'm not always successful. Definitely <laughs> in the afternoon, yeah. evenings, I take between 10 to 20 minutes out of my day to just just kind of decompress. I mean, there's a lot of different ways for people to do it. Um, I think guided meditations are fantastic as a way to introduce you. There's some great, great guided meditation teachers. I've been exploring Ram Das recently, given mm. his recent passing, yeah. and uh, Dr. Ted's uh, love of, of, of Ram Das as well. Mm. And so I've been doing some more work with him. He's got some great guided meditations or at least guided tracks to listen to. Yeah. Um, that's probably the most, I, I, I guess most of us think the world is external, right? Everything around us is, is always just bludgeoning us, right? That's but it's right. really our, how we interact with the world through our own experience and through our own personal awareness 
that allows us to develop a conscious that's higher to some yeah. degree, or at least, yeah. I don't want to say it's higher than somebody else's, but I think it's more true. It's more of a truth, really. Absolutely. So and that's how, that's how I've, I've only been meditating really for a year and a half, mm. and it's been transformative for me, Jody. So I would say that would be my non-negotiable. Amazing. I think that's a fantastic way to end. Scott, you're amazing. Thank you so, 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 so much. Ditto, Jody. Keep up the fantastic <laughs> work, and I look forward to more time together in person, on Skype, on Zoom, whatever. Absolutely. Um, keep up the great work, and I'm always here to help. You know that. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. I'll end it there. I'll pop up all the links and um, do a bit of intro for you as well at the start. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Revital Health Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Revital Health, as well as our website, revitalhealth.com.au for upcoming podcasts, workshops and speaking events. Find out about specials happening in the clinic and all the show notes and links mentioned in the podcast. Please remember that this information discussed here is general information and it is not intended to diagnose or treat individuals. Please speak to your healthcare professional before embarking on any new treatments, lifestyle changes, medicines or supplementation to assess your suitability. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you again soon.